Our text for this celebration of Pentecost is from our reading from Acts chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 together. I do encourage you, ask you, open up God's Word. If you have a worship folder there with you, or if there is a Bible near you, grab one of our church Bibles. You can open up to page 909 in our church Bibles, page 909, Acts chapter 2. As we open up God's word today, let's open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, holy, inspired, and to know that your very presence, your Holy Spirit is infused, is connected to every single word of this ancient text so that we pray today that by your Holy Spirit through the means of your word we pray give us eyes the eyes of faith to see who we truly are and we pray this in Jesus name Amen. This is one of the offering plates that we use here at Our Father. And an offering plate, of course, it's not something that you ever think deeply about or ponder or consider very much. The ushers walk down and they hand the plate and you pass it down and someone passes it to you and you pass it to someone else. Just an offering plate, common, ordinary. We use it all the time here in the church. But what if, just for illustration's sake, just pretending a little bit here this morning, what if we actually came to discover, it was revealed to us, that these offering plates that we've been using here all these years at Our Father are actually 3,000 years old, pure gold, that they were actually fashioned and formed by artisans and they were used in the temple in Jerusalem during the reign of King Solomon and their value utterly and absolutely priceless, untold millions and millions of dollars, these holy and sacred relics that we've been using all of this time. Now, if that was true about these offering plates, and then we use them this morning and pass them around, wouldn't your attitude towards them change? Wouldn't you hold them more carefully? Look at them with maybe a sense of reverence or awe and almost feel honored to be able to Hold that in your hands to see them in a brand new way that you never knew. Now this is just an offering plate. Our offering plates are just regular offering plates. But what about you? 
What about the people that you are sitting next to? What about if you are a Christian here, your fellow followers of Jesus Christ? Do you see who you are? Who God has made you to be? Who God has made your fellow brothers and sisters to be. Among many things, this is what this account of Pentecost is showing us. Who we are as individual Christians, but who we are collectively as the church, who our brothers and sisters in Christ really are. It's my prayer that we would see that today, and it is my prayer that we would begin more and more to live in accordance with this utterly astonishing truth of who you, of who we are. So let's dig into God's Word. Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, that's all of the 12 disciples, but other followers of Christ at the time, this is after the ascension of Christ, they were all together in one place. When the day of Pentecost arrived, now, what is Pentecost? What does that word mean? Word Pentecost, this celebration, wasn't something that, that just the church created. Pentecost was a tradition. It was a holiday, a holiday, a holy day, a great festival that the people of God had celebrated for thousands of years. Pentecost takes place 50 days after Easter or 50 days after the conclusion of the Passover. And Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover that day, was also at times referred to as the Feast of the First Fruits. That by this time in the season, the crop of grain or of wheat and the heads of grain was beginning to ripen and those heads of grain were beginning to mature and there were the first fruits that were beginning to form and so the people of God would take that initial bit of the crop that was coming in just that first of the harvest and offer it to God offer it to the Lord why in expectation of the fuller harvest that was to come a way of giving thanks and a way of praising God and a way of looking forward again to that fuller harvest. It is no accident. It is no mere coincidence. There are no coincidences in the kingdom of God. No mere coincidence that God chose this day of Pentecost and the Feast of the First Fruits to be the day by which His own Holy Spirit would come upon His people in the church in a brand new way, in a way that had never happened in the history of God's people. For the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the people of God is the first fruits of the larger day that is to come. 
We've just had a series called Hope in Uncertain Times where we were saying that because of the resurrection, because of the empty tomb, because these things really took place, we have hope for the future. It's absolutely secured. But we also have a hope from the future, that future life that we will one day have, the new heavens and the new earth, when Christ returns to restore all things, that as a Christian and within the church, we can begin even now to have at least a foretaste of that life to come. This is the coming of the Holy Spirit that takes the power and the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and brings it into our very lives, literally into our bodies. And it is just the first fruits. The kingdom of God is at hand. It isn't here in its fullness. It hasn't been fully consummated yet, but it is here in the cross, in the empty tomb, the ascension, and now the coming of the Holy Spirit upon God's people, upon you. We can begin already to live that future extraordinary life in Christ. And then verse 2, where it says, Suddenly there came, and notice the direction, from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing Wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. A mighty rushing wind. Some translations even say a violent wind. And the Greek here for wind is the same root word in the Greek used for spirit or breath. And that word in the Greek is pneuma. So if you have pneumonia, you have an affection within the place where your breath comes from, in your lungs. If you ever have used a pneumatic nail gun that uses air pressure to force the nail out of the gun and into the wood or whatever you're trying to build. Pneuma, it is the wind of God. It is the breath of God, the spirit of God. And pneuma is connected directly to the Old Testament word for the spirit or the breath of God, and that is ruach. Pneuma and ruach. You, can, you can't even say those words. It's almost like an automatopoeia. You can't even say those words without having to breathe. Okay, so I know you want to say this. Say this after me. Numa. Ruach. Yeah, you sound like you're speaking Klingon there for a second. But the breath, ruach. Ruach. You have to use that breath. The wind, the spirit, the breath of God. And this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, the first two verses of the Bible where it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Ruach of God, the Numa of God, the wind, the breath, the Spirit of God over the waters in the moment of creation. God is using His very Spirit, this wind, this breath, to bring about all things. Creation. 
So that here on the day of Pentecost, on the feast of the first fruits, with the much larger harvest of that day to come, but already being experienced now within the church, it is the pneuma, the ruach, the wind and the Spirit of God which comes upon the people of God in this place. And what is the implication here? It is that just as the Spirit of God and His wind was there at the moment of creation, so now in you, dear Christian brother or sister in the church, it is a new creation a recreation, the beginning of the restoration of this world. This world is not what we long for it to be. This world has been broken by our sin. But in you and within the church, everything sad is beginning to come untrue. And you are, as Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The verb tense is there, present tense. You are a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. Quick point of application. There are some of you here today who heard words spoken by a loved one, a mom or a dad, perhaps years ago, and still those words are defining you, and still those words are the cause of deep hurt. There are some of you who look in the mirror and you just don't like what you see. Can you begin to see yourself the way your heavenly Father sees you? As a brand new creation, holy and righteous and beautiful. And there are some of you, some of us, with the sins of our life. And some of us here, we commit the same sin over and over and over again, 1,874 times. And you do that sin again, or you think whatever it is, whatever it might be. And some of you I know, because you have an enemy called Satan who comes alongside of you, and he says, you think God is going to forgive you for the 1,874th time? Yes. He makes you brand new, a new creation, a new type of humanity. Every single day when you wake up, you are brand new and loved and delighted in by your heavenly Father. And then verse 3. It says, and divided tongues as of fire. You get the sense here, Luke is trying, struggling to put into human words what this experience was like that he's recording. It was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. They were divided tongues as of fire. But these tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Fire. 
We're wearing our red for Pentecost. Why the fire? What is fire symbolic of? And not just symbolic of, but what is fire a manifestation of? Anytime you see fire in the scriptures, fire is always a manifestation of the divine, a manifestation of God in this world. Abraham, when God makes a covenant with Abraham, he appears as a blazing torch. When God spoke to Moses and called him to lead his people and gave his divine name Yahweh, he was in the burning bush. When God led his children Israel out of slavery and through the Sinai wilderness, it was a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. When God gave his holy law on top of Mount Sinai, it was the fire and the presence and the glory of God which descended and shook that mountain. And if anyone even got close to that mountain or touched it, they would surely die. It was the fire that came down which filled the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and in the temple in Jerusalem and on and on. Fire, a manifestation, a theophany, God breaking through into this world. What can we begin to believe what this text is showing us about the church and about you. That the presence of God and the glory of God in this fire descends not on a mountaintop which shakes and quakes. It does not descend in a burning bush. It is not in some specially prescribed tabernacle or temple. No, the very presence of God now has descended upon who? on people who with the empty hands of faith turn to Jesus Christ and follow him. On you. Peter later on, who was there, St. Peter would go on to write a letter. We call it 1 Peter chapter 2. And he says this in verse 4, that as you come to him, as you come to Christ, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, a temple, living stones. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, do you not know that your body is a temple of God? You know, the very last words that a pastor will say over you, over your earthly remains, it is the last pastoral act that we would do for you and over you is at the committal service where your body or your ashes are there. And the pastor over your physical remains, your soul with Jesus will say this. May God the Father who created this body and may God the Son who redeemed this body by His blood and may God the Holy Spirit who sanctified this body to be His temple through the waters of baptism keep these remains to the day of the resurrection of all flesh. The Holy Spirit who has sanctified your 
body to be his temple. This is not metaphor. This is not poetry. This is not a simile. This is speaking of a spiritual reality, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. God comes to us. We've been talking about this. The means of grace coming to us through the word and the water of baptism in his word and the bread and the wine of holy communion. But do you not understand that God is within you? The spirit of Christ is within you. And wherever you go, God is there. This world is so dark, isn't it? And what happened in Texas? And Sandy Hook before that, and we can fill in the blanks of far too many moments. And there's darkness. You, we are the ones that Christ has chosen to shine his light in this world. Do you know who you are? Can you see it? God used to come in a temple or in a tabernacle, and that was kind of the connection point between heaven and earth. Now the connection point, the doorway between heaven and earth is you, is us all together. How often on an average Tuesday afternoon do you think of yourself this way? I tell you, if you put that lens on, it will change you. And it will also change the way we treat one another. As we come to close here, you know, a couple days ago, I was grumpy. That's how I felt. You, you felt a little grumpy the other day? Yeah. It happens. I hear Leah coming down the hallway, and I was frustrated at her. Nothing she had done, just my own grumpiness. She comes into the room where I am, and my first instinct is, I'm going to be grumpy. I want to just be a grump towards her. Mer. Happened to be preparing this sermon. And in an instant, I saw who she really was. As a temple, as a living house, where the presence of the Spirit of Christ has chosen to dwell. How dare I treat her with any less respect or reverence not simply because of her but because of Christ within her and I went from grump to <laughs> I love you so much This offering plate is just an offering plate. Do you see who you are? 
Do you see who we are? To Christ alone be all the glory. Amen.